You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Wednesday, February 27th, 2019. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. And I am joined by the always awesome Natalie Zamudio. Natalie, how are you? Hey, Gabriel. Doing great. Happy to be back on with you and uh, MMA Daily to talk about some fights. Yeah, so this week's episode, UFC 235, we're going to get, you know, deep into it. We're going to be talking about UFC Prague, but there is quite a lot of MMA news. There's just been a big shakeup in terms of the UFC, and it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. But I want to touch on it. So, fans, I haven't posted the photo yet. I need to. But we finally teamed up again. We were at the one championship open workouts, the first one that they've ever done in the United States. I was impressed. I feel like they showed that they're really, you know, trying to get all the bells and whistles. They're trying to show they're really serious about expanding, especially with the Bleacher Report signing and airing on TNT. But what were your thoughts on that event? I thought it was amazing, actually. I was really pleasantly surprised to see the huge fan turnout and the really big media turnout. Um, Venue was a tad bit too small because I don't think they were expecting such a a high amount of people to show up. So actually good for them that 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 happened. Um, Amazing to see Mighty Mouse, Eddie Alvarez, Sage Northcutt up close. I mean, we were standing just a few feet away from them in in the media section. It was really thrilling, and I, I like the feeling, um, the difference. It feels different from other promotions, um, even just the music that they were using while the fighters were doing their workouts. There's a different energy, a different vibe, and I'm really excited to see how these three guys um, turn out once they start fighting. Yeah, what I like is that, you know, for a long time, like Ryzen and other places, one championship is is just like that's that's what's going on on the other side of the world. It's kind of like when you hear NBA players going to play in China. It's like it's basketball and they have some names, but it's just not the same. I feel like this is them trying to show they are about to turn the corner. They're signing names that you know are good, that you know are not just good, they're great. I mean, Demetrius Johnson, you can make the argument he's still the best flyweight in the world. Just fantastic. So when you put all that together with the presentation they had, I was impressed with it. I think that they clearly know what the fans want to see in the United States. And I think the fighters know that you know, it's going to be different in Asia. So all of that together was a fun experience, but I want to bring it up because I appreciated your help so much. Thank you. And yeah, I look forward to us just working a lot more events together as a team and just individually. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, man, definitely. It was great to, to, to be able to help out a little bit. I think, uh, I think you had it, you had it covered, but I was happy to stand there and, uh, and press a couple of buttons for you. Um, hope I didn't hope I didn't mess anything up. Um, oh, you but, did fantastic! <laughs> thank you. Um, For real. But, but also, you know, what I my my biggest takeaway from this whole thing was just how happy Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson, and Sage Northcutt seemed. They just seemed happy and relaxed and like relieved. And I think they're going to really blossom. Not that they haven't already. Obviously, as you stated, they're like tremendous talents, tremendous fighters. But I think they're really going to blossom at this new promotion. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about you're on the cusp of the wave. Not that they're the first one championship fighters ever, but, you know, they're they're the real 
first marquee guys outside of Ben Askren to really turn this corner. And I think that's what's going to be really exciting. But we will be getting to their debuts another time. We did have a UFC event from the Czech Republic this past Saturday. An early fight card for people in the United States, which, which I kind of appreciated for once. But UFC Prague, Jan Blahovich, Tiago Santos. This one, not a lot of people expected it to get out of the first round. And it was actually very different. I think that a lot of people thought Tiago would be fighting more aggressive. I think people thought Jan might try to use more grappling. Instead, we had quite a back and forth for these first, you know, two rounds and some seconds. What were your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, dude, I'm with you. The the actual, the, the outcome was not surprising to me, but the performance by Tiago Santos was. I really thought he was going to go blitz Jan and brawl, but he stayed patient, which is actually the strategy I was expecting from Jan. But Tiago, he bided his time, and then he went in for the kill with actually a supremely cool um, combination. It was like a counter right-left hook. He was moving backwards, um, you know, and then just finished it with hammer fists. It was very impressive. I think it does put him next in line or close to next in line for the light heavyweight belt. Um, you know, John Jones is hungry. Let's just keep feeding him 205ers. Yeah, I think to me, um, the thing that I was impressed with most was how patient Tiago was. I think that he was really pacing himself against a guy that he may not say it, but respectfully, I don't think he was going to be able to just blitz and put away. I think that Jan, not people gave him the credit that he could survive it. I think Tiago really did when I watched his body language. But yeah, I think that Jan, he was aggressive to start that third. And I think that that was a that he was looking to pick up the pace in the later rounds. I think he thought that he could get Tiago to expend more energy than he did. And, you know, maybe he was trying to surprise him. We'll never know. That's another just, that's how the, that's how the cookie crumbled. And once again, yeah, great sequence for the finish. You touched on it. Let's get deeper into it. Tiago Santos makes sense as the next light heavyweight contender. Natalie, John Jones could fight DC in a super fight. He could fight Stipe. He could fight Cain Velasquez. It's not that Tiago didn't, doesn't have the credentials. It's just the fact that when you talk about the fight to make, he's just far on the list in terms of the immediate future. So I want to toss that one to you. Let's say, hypothetically, John Jones defends against Anthony Smith this Saturday. Can you see, even though I know he wants to stay active, I know he wants to stay busy, and he's talked about the 205 division, can you see them honestly making the Tiago Santos fight over possibly a Stipe or a Daniel Cormier fight? Honestly, I can I can't. I really think that, that Jones wants to turn these fights around quick. And and I don't know where Stipe is right now. Like, he just keeps talking about wanting to fight DC. I think Stipe just wants a shot at his heavyweight belt. And so, unless somehow fighting Jones is going to give him that, I, I think he's smart. Yeah, you're right. You named a couple of awesome um fights there for John Jones and I think the UFC would probably rather have any of those than him just fight Tiago Santos but um yeah I'm sticking with it I think that that's that's probably what will happen he wants to Jones wants to fight and everyone else there's so much bigger names I think they're not going to be as willing to just to just jump um jump up and 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 fight Jones in like you know two months two and a half months three months 
I guess to me, the big thing that is uh, now it's become a two halves of the coin. So I think the big fight to make is still Daniel Cormier. My thing about it would be that let's say uh, I'm still crossing my fingers that we're getting something soon about DC versus uh, Brock Lesnar or someone like that in July. Depending on how banged up Jones is or otherwise coming out of Saturday, if fans see Jones win and now he's beaten Gustafsson and Smith and they see DC possibly take out Brock Lesnar, it's going to be really hard for fans to settle to say, okay, I'll watch Jones, Tiago Santos. That to me is the big thing is if you get all the pieces, all the players back and involved, are fans going to be willing to settle? Is the company going to be able to honestly make that fight when you know that the bigger one is just right there, finally it's ready? I think that's the big question to me is that if fans see DC come back, they're going to just be like, no, I don't I don't care about the uh, Tiago Santos fight. I want Jones versus DC3. So I think all of that is going to play a factor. I do see what you're saying, and on the business side of it, not the just marketing side, yes, it is my a little harder, I think, to get the Stipe and Kane fights to happen. But I do think that you can't underestimate the effect of the peer pressure that he's going to get if DC returns healthy, if he takes out Smith of fans just saying, I'm not going to settle for another one. I'm not going to buy Jones Santos unless it's on a stacked mega card. Just isn't going to happen. So. I think that's going to be the key factor at the end of the day on what happens next for Tiago Santos specifically. And then, of course, Anthony Smith, let's say he does shock uh, John Jones. I feel like he'll have to give Jones a rematch before Santos gets his rematch against Anthony Smith anyway. So that could be a little bit of a factor. And I think what I'm trying to get at is that Tiago Santos he may be the top contender, but he may still end up having to wait a little bit, depending how it plays out. Yeah, there's a lot of tasty players in the mix, and uh, I think we'll definitely know better uh, what uh, what is likely to happen after uh, after Saturday night. Yeah, but look, it's it was a fun one. There were some good fights. Liz Carmouche looked good, I thought, in a tough fight, and now there's that neck-and-neck neck race at 125, and... Yeah, just a lot of good stuff. I like the pacing of the card. So, yeah, for ESPN Plus, kind of taking that fight pass slot to have the early fights for the local market, I thought it was just a good move. But moving on, the whole week, Natalie just was busy, and I am very excited to talk about this next one. George St. Pierre announces he's officially done. He is retired from the sport of mixed martial arts. Now, a lot of people were like, well, he's kind of already been retired, but he says it simply. He was holding out for a possible fight with Habib. That fight didn't materialize, and at, I think he's going to be 38 years old in May. He said, you know what? I'm not going to drag it on. I'm not going to leave the door open pretty much. I'm going to say that this, I'm calling it a career. He leaves as easily the best welterweight in UFC history. People would argue he is the best fighter in MMA history. He closes the door on what's been just an amazing, amazing story of mixed martial arts. So first to start, Natalie, thoughts on his attempt to get that fight with Habib? Because some people would argue that GSP, even for as great as he is, he was reaching trying to say he'd get that fight. 
Man, it would have been nice. I'll tell you what. I would have loved to yeah. seen that. I, I actually think um, because he's so smart and strategic, I think he would have done the, the weight cut properly. He would have been in fine shape to to compete at 155 or at least to weigh in at 155 and compete at maybe 10 pounds heavier. I think maybe I'm alone here. I think GSP would have outworked Khabib. I think he would have come away with a decision victory had that fight actually come to uh, come to pass. Um, I also think that if he did win, he would have done the same thing he did at middleweight, you know, pictures with the title and then, and then relinquished it and walked away off into the sunset. Um, so I am kind of bummed that that didn't, didn't shake out, but I really was impressed by just, you know, GSP being GSP at his press conference, always a gentleman, always a professional. Um, I loved his, one of the quotes, one of the things he said, which is, you know, it takes a lot of discipline to retire at, on, to, at, on top. Um, you know, he, he phrased that so eloquently. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm sad that he's, that he's, we're not going to be able to see him in a super fight, but I think he did the right thing, you know, just move on with your life and, and leave on the top, like big time leaving on the top there. As a guy who covers the sport as a job, I am saddened that I'll never get the chance to cover a GSP fight. Although he did say never say never. So, you know, crazier things have happened, but I'm not going to hold my breath. I feel like he's walking away because he really feels like unless it's, you know, uh, I'll put it this way. The next Conor McGregor and uh, obviously we still have a Conor. So to have another super big mega star, even bigger than Conor and Habib, unless that guy comes in and wants to fight GSP hell or high water, I think we're never going to see him again for sure. Um to me, the I actually I know I'm with you. I think that GSP striking. I I'll say it right now, GSP. Now that he's retired, GSP would have given Habib the business. As great as Habib is, I really think that GSP's skill set was perfect to fight a guy like Habib. He has the striking. He has the grappling. I think that he would not have been just dominated on the ground like all these other guys have been. I truly believe that he's one of the few guys that even if Habib made it a grappling match, that GSP would have been able to neutralize him and get to the positions that he needed to. So I fully, I, I'm with you. I think that GSP would have had the, he had the recipe to give Habib problems personally, in my opinion. Totally. But yeah, to me, I also see it as a, a and I, we also did this, fans will remember, um, previously in the show that we had this conversation about GSP wanting the Habib fight. And I stand by the same thing I said probably about a month and a half, two months ago when we were on the show is that with Habib, they're just uh, at the end of the day, it's marketing. And as much as I love GSP and I do mean that he's one of my favorite fighters, just as a fan of all time, the, it, I just was felt more, I, I want to see the Tony fight because respectfully, GSP as one and done, that doesn't excite me as the prospect of seeing Tony try to take out Habib and then Connor, or Habib try to take out, you know, Connor, Tony, then Dustin Poirier. That to me, you're looking to settle this debate. Who could honestly say they are the best lightweight at a time when the lightweight division has never been more dangerous? I was so looking forward to that that respectfully GSP only coming back for one uh, I just didn't want to see it as much as much as I love GSP so yeah I'm with you it would have been a great event a great fight but I completely get why they went with just 
G- sorry, Habib holding out and have him fight the winner of, you know, have him fight Tony, the upcoming winner of Max and uh, Dustin, which we'll talk about in a minute. So I get why they chose not to. And in fact, if I had to be honest, I'm glad that they stuck to it this time rather than make the super fight because I think it would have taken a little bit of the wind out of the sails had GSP walked away from the lightweight title now, especially beating a guy like Habib. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. If he if he beats Khabib and then walks away, then it's like, all right, now you just got a bunch of fighters sitting around. No one has the belt. Uh, you know, where's the value in the lightweights now? So it would have definitely uh, done a disservice to the division, but it would have been fun. Yeah, and I think um uh, the big difference, like from one eighty five, people felt like Robert Whitaker was the best middleweight when GSP beat Bisping. People believe Habib's the best lightweight right now if GSP beats him and walks away. That makes it much more complicated yeah. at the end of the day. That's a good point. Yeah, so. But yeah, oh man, it would have been so good. It would have been <laughs> fun. Um, he leaves the sport, like I said, um, depending on who you talk to, he's the number one guy in history. No controversy. Two losses that he avenged. The fact that he won two UFC titles and he walks away without ever having lost either belt. Um, uh, he's, he's one of the best up there. I have always gone back and forth between him and Anderson Silva. I'm waiting on John Jones to get to the end of his career before I figure out where I put him. But GSP, you know, when you're watching him just dominate, it's hard to say he's not the best ever at the, um, when you really are being honest about it. I want to toss it to you. What is your favorite GSP moment from his career? Because I know you've been a fan a while, too. Okay, man. So I have been a fan for a while, but I came in at a time where, you know, GSP was already out of the picture. So um, a little bit we late. Gotta get your fight. We got to get your fight pass going right no, now. No, I mean, I, hey man, I got fight pass for sure. So I've definitely gone back and seen the fights. But as yeah. a hardcore MMA fan, I was only around for him when he came back to fight Bisping. That's the one I watched live. My family was here. It was my birthday. It was a heck of a card. You know, you had Rose beating Joanna, TJ beating Cody. So GSP knocks down, chokes out Bisping. Um, You know, for me, that's my favorite moment. Uh, I love Bisping. I was actually rooting for Bisping. Uh, But GSP, right out of the movies, man. He's coming back, you know, after years away from the sport, challenging 15 pounds above his weight class. He wins in dramatic fashion. That's the memory I'm going to take away with me. Um, also, the press conference where Bisping showed up like hungover and GSP tells him he was intoxicated. That was pretty hilarious. <laughs> <too>. so, <laughs> he got two, it a little. Yeah. Even, even for Bisping, that was low key. Like, come on, man. That, yeah, you know, I know. You kinda you're pushing that, the line, Michael. You're pushing the line, Michael. Yeah, but, I think uh, GSP no. was like, I got this, man. I, I just won. <laughs> I'm going to give him this work. No, uh, that that was a big one. Um, here's what made that fight bigger for me, in my opinion, was the fact that I, I love Bisping also as a fighter. I think he's fantastic. He doesn't get the credit. Because of the layoff, because of the size, because of all those intangibles, I actually went with Bisping over St. Pierre, the only time I've ever picked against GSP. And I'd never been so happy to be proven wrong on that one because I was like, man, he really is that good. Yeah. That one, that really is what made it stand out to me, that fight. I personally go back to UFC 100 in 
for all the fans who have never seen a fight that wasn't on Fox, let me just tell you something. The fights back then were lit also. GSP taking on Tiago Alves. He was going through dudes the way that Brian Ortega, the way that um, just pick somebody who's killing it right now, the way that Paulo Costa, the way that Francis Ngannou was going through guys. Tiago Alves was that devastating. He was destroying Josh Koscheck. He was knocking out Matt Hughes and making it look easy. He was just a killer. GSP went out there, and he was on point for 25 minutes, shut him down. And that was the one, even though he'd just come off the champion versus champ fight with BJ Penn, I really feel like that was the one where people were kind of seeing him as not just the, the, the man right now, but he was really starting to get to that conversation of, one of the best we've ever seen. And he really turned in a classic performance. I encourage anyone to, you know, who's a big fan, watch that fight, get familiar with who Tiago was at the time, and you'll see just why that fight was so epic for GSP. That one still stands out to me as one of my favorite moments of his. I'm logging into Fight Pass right now. <laughs> there you go. It's good. I was in Vegas for that one. It was awesome. I was so excited. I nice. still remember that one. Yeah, but um, GSP, much respect. Enjoy it. Please be, you know, please be around because we're going to miss you in the fight game for sure. Absolutely. M- moving on, there was some news from a lot of the guys who are the man right now. The big one, Max Holloway, the featherweight champion, moving up to take on Dustin Poirier for the interim lightweight title at UFC 236 this April. Natalie... We thought it would be Tony Ferguson. We've been here. Dustin Poirier, I feel like every day he's tweeted out something about wanting to fight or leaving and everything else. So this fight coming together is, it's definitely news breaking. They have history. They fought seven years ago. Dustin actually beat Holloway, gave him his first loss. I mean, just so much going into it. Let me start with the other side of the coin. Tony Ferguson, easily the best lightweight, not named Habib Nurmagomedov. He doesn't get the fight. What do you think about him not fighting for the interim title, though, under the circumstances? Yeah, man. So the news about this matchup with Max and Dustin, it it made me sigh. I wasn't sure outright how to feel. But as far as Ferguson goes, I understand 100% why he turned down the fight. He already won the interim belt. He had it stripped away for something really silly. It was partially the UFC's fault, right? He tripped on a cable doing obligatory media. Yep. So what have we seen in the past? Defiance never really pays off in the UFC, and he's likely in the doghouse with Dana White right now for turning down this chance to fight for another interim belt. But I see that the light at the end of the tunnel for him. You know, Max and, and Dustin are down a scrap, so whoever of those two wins... I suspect they're going to be keen to turn around a title title defense before the year ends. Um, and that match should, would likely go to Ferguson despite his refusal to compete for another interim belt this time around. So I don't blame the guy. It's silly that they took his belt away. It's silly that they even asked him to fight again for the same belt. Um, I understand where he's coming from. I felt two ways about it. On the one hand, why are you going to fight for an interim belt that they already stripped off of you? And just why do you want to go through the show of it? I get that. If I'm Tony Ferguson, 
I personally want him to come out and he's got to spill a little bit of tea. I need him to say, like, they didn't offer me enough money to do another interim belt. They were going to keep me on my deal. It wasn't worth it for me when a title shot isn't going to be guaranteed against Habib, you know, if I win. I need him to say that because otherwise, you know, Tony, what are you doing, man? Are you saying you're really going to try to wait for Habib until November? It's going to be more than a year since you guys last fought. That, to me, was the real kicker for it because at the end of the day, I feel like if you want to prove you're the best lightweight, Make, you know, make the fight with Dustin Poirier happen. You know, what are we really waiting on? And I think that's what it had to have come down to was that he didn't feel like he would honestly get the fight with Habib when it was all over, all said and done. And he didn't feel like risking that. Maybe he didn't expect Dustin to get booked. Maybe he didn't expect them to make the Holloway fight happen or what have you. So the fact that it went down this way is shocking to me. I get on principle, Tony want, not wanting to take another interim fight. But I think when you really look at it, honestly, Tony, you're healthy. You didn't jump out of a cage. You're not in trouble. You know, if Habib's messing up, don't let that affect your plan. Put more pressure on Habib. Make him look like he's afraid. Make him want to turn down his principles to stay out of action until his friends are, you know, their suspensions are up. Make yourself look like the bigger threat, in my opinion. That's how you're going to make the eventual fight with Habib even more money, if that's what it's about, that's what you're holding out on. Because the other way, I feel like he almost, he got, he almost shortchanged himself. And I feel like he really could have made it really big for himself to just make the fight with Dustin happen. If, but if you ask me, it probably came down to money, and that's why at the end of the day, he just didn't get the fight. Yeah, I mean, that that's probably right. I do feel like he's a man of principle. And I think the idea of having to fight again just probably pissed him off. But if they offered him a boatload of money, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe he would have been like, all right, I'll do it. So it's probably a little bit of, of the both. And I get it. The fight with Habib is big for him. Hell, I, I still want to see it. And it's this is like, what, they're on opportunity number six or something trying to make the fight happen? Like, I yeah. still want to see it. <laughs> yeah, we do. We still want to see it. And maybe someday we will. <laughs> All right. When they're ch- <laughs> hey, are they going to do like Chuck and Tito when they get to that point? <laughs> yeah, Golden Boy and they will come back in 2032 um, yeah. to give us that fight. Habib versus Tony. Just the, on the bottom of the poster, finally. <laughs> finally. <laughs> no, that's, that, that would be cruel and unusual punishment if you ask me. Um, look, I, I do not want to knock it. Max Holloway fighting Dustin Poirier. I did think about it from Max's point of view. Like, why not defend your featherweight title instead? But if I'm being honest, um, Hinato Moicano just lost to Jose Aldo. He's beaten Aldo twice. Zabit is getting there. He's not there yet. And then if I'm not mistaken, Frankie Edgar's still injured. There really wasn't a guy who made sense at 145 as much as probably getting this interim title at 155. And I think it's a win-win situation because let's say something happens with Habib. Hey, you could come back and fight maybe someone like Alexander Volkanovsky later this year. Or maybe Zabit gets another one and they set up the fight. All those are options. Or 
Max beats Dustin. Suddenly have you a super fight with Habib. That's a win-win situation if you're Max Holloway. So I get why he took this option. And at the end of the day, this is a very fun fight. Both of them have gotten so much better since that last one. It's going to be a great scrap for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like ignoring the the backstory, the backstory, you know, of Tony Khabib, uh, you know, suspensions and all of that. Looking at this yeah. purely from the perspective of a fight fan, is this a thrilling matchup? Yeah, big fat yes, all caps, right? Does it make yeah. sense for the UFC to pull Max Holloway up from 145 to fight Dustin um, for a placeholder belt? You know what? I would say lowercase no. Uh, you make great <laughs> points. Like, there's not much going on at 145 right now. Alexander Volkanovsky, yeah, that's the only guy I could think of. So, yeah, for Max, this is a win-win. Um, looking at the top lightweight fighters, you know, it's clear what happened. As I said, Khabib suspended until the fall, I guess, because he's holding out, right, for his buddies. Connor's mm-hmm. not back until April. Tony's not fighting for the interim belt. So, you got Dustin ready to go. He needs an opponent. Um you know, your fourth, fifth, and sixth ranked fighters just fought in December, right? We got, uh, I think, Iaquinta, Kevin Lee, and I can't remember the other guy. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it makes sense from some perspectives, but when you talk about the integrity of the lightweight belt or any belt in the UFC, which I guess is sort of up for, for grabs right now, I don't know, man. Um, I, I try to just take a step back and, yeah, look at this as a pure just – fight between two awesome awesome you know mma mma athletes um i do wonder if they reached out to cerrone you know he wants a belt and um fighting poirier isn't nearly the big money bout that fighting connor would be but it gets him closer to the overall goal right of being champion because he'd be he'd, he'd have a chance at the at the interim belt so um in my fight in my mind i should say yeah booking this fight makes sense um it makes the ufc look a little desperate um, a little thirsty, but am I going to watch? Yeah, because it's a, like a superb matchup. It's going to be an amazing fight. Bottom line, I guess I'm in. Yeah, I, I think so too. Like all the business part of it, I think that if at the end of the day, you want guys who are just going to show up and fight. And I understand holding out for the money a little bit, but when I look at a big picture, I wouldn't want Dustin Poirier to wait until 2020, even though he's earned a title shot. I wouldn't want Max Holloway to wait until October just because, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky or Zabit needs one more fight to get to make it a big fight. You know, I would want to see them out there. So I like that they just, you know, look, just make the fight happen. I think that it speaks to just how game both of these guys are. And I think stylistically, it's a great fight. Both of them are well-rounded. Max has arguably the best hands in the UFC and Dustin has amazing power very multifaceted skill set, it makes for a really great matchup. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Obviously, it's coming up in a little over a month, so we'll have plenty to discuss in the coming weeks. But right now, I'm on board for watching just a good fight. And I'm glad that, and you know, Max, you can also understate this. He might be one of the most exciting up-and-coming guys. I do think we're going to start seeing him get to that point where he is a big pay-per-view person not just you know random pay-per-views i'm talking fourth of july new year's eve pay-per-views i can see him being that guy coming up soon personally yeah i think you're 100 percent right he's like the next big star for for ufc the way he he you know beat up ortega 
He's tall for the weight for 145, big frame. So he can fight, obviously, at 155. He can even do, I would say, at some point in the future, 170. Like, there's so much there to do with him. They've got Hawaii behind him. It's it's all win-win for the UFC to keep pushing Max Holloway to the top. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think also, uh, hey, I'm going to throw this one out there. Max versus Habib in Hawaii. That's going to sell the fight out, if you ask me. Dude. I said make that one happen. I'm so there, like, beyond there. That would be freaking amazing. Wow. You should be a matchmaker. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad. You know what? We're on the right page. (laughs) All right. Moving on. There is one more title on the line at UFC 236. Kelvin Gastelum and Israel Adesanya will fight for the interim 185 title. Um, this one makes a lot of logical sense. I think that even if Robert Whitaker is ready in July, you don't want to roll the dice getting him back too quick from the hernia procedure. And I think they booked this one as a safety cushion. You just don't want to make Gastelum wait a year. You don't want to make Adesanya wait longer. Both of them are in title contention. Both of them want to fight. I'm glad that this fight is happening. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm glad too. I don't think they should have waited for Whitaker. I mean, he had a serious injury and underwent serious surgery. He needs time to heal, to recover. This is like the abdominal area we're talking about here, right? That's engaged in like every little bit of MMA training that you do. Um, It's just a really, really unlucky scenario for for Whitaker, for Gastelum, for the UFC, the fans. Um, But there's nothing that could have been done. It's just a terrible fluke. He, He can't fight anytime soon. You have hot prospects, as you said, waiting in the wings to get their shot, put on great, great fights. Um, I would say Gaslam is actually a hot property right now with the way he came out after um, or during the fight, you know, uh, during the, uh, I guess it was right before the main card. I can't remember when he came out to talk to the media, holding Cejudo's belt, kind of turning heel a little bit, you know, he's elevated his own name, whether, you know, fans like it or not. Um, a lot more than it was before. Adesanya is even hotter fighting Silva. It doesn't make sense to sit on this out of a sense for respect to Whitaker. This is actually a legitimate use case for an interim belt. Yeah, to me, the biggest thing about this one is that if you are either one of these guys, and let's say you were to take another, you just have to fight one more, and it doesn't matter how good Gastelum looked against Jacare or what kind of popularity Adesanya is. If either of them had taken one more fight, the other guy would be forgotten because UFC would be like, no, we know who's actually willing to throw down for us, you know. And I think that that was a good way to just, you know, get ahead of it. Make sure that when the time comes to be the undisputed guy, that you're the number one. Also, if you win the title against Whitaker, you're probably taking on the other guy next anyway as your title defense. So kind of getting ahead of the ball now and making yourself, you know, dealing with him now rather than dealing with him later, I'm good for it. I think both of them are on a great run, so it just makes sense on the timing for all parties involved. I mean, don't get me wrong, they wanted to fight for that undisputed belt, but that just wasn't meant to be. And once again, you know, I'm just best wishes for Robert Whitaker and that he gets back soon. So all of that, I guess, is just going to be settled at a later time. Natalie... Good fight. Adesanya striking. Kelvin, he's he's a weird guy to figure out. He, You don't think, you know, his boxing, you know, even though he's the smaller guy, 
He gets in there and he's lighting people up with his hands. This is a very good fight. I think that the grappling of Gastelum will be the X factor. I think that could really shock Izzy. But man, Israel is also another one of those guys that, you know, you kind of give him that X factor that he can pull out that one move, that one bit of finesse that just really shuts down the other guy. So I think that this is an interesting one. What do you think when you see the fight? Interesting for sure. Uh, yeah, Gastelum has that slick one-two. He has the grappling, but Adesanya is just an enigma. Um, we saw him with Silva. I think he was maybe playing possum a little bit. I don't know. Um, but he was very measured and sort of just, you know, blitzing when blitzing when he saw the opportunity. But with Gastelum, I think he's going to have a lot more room to be creative, to dance around. And I'm excited for sure. I Actually, right now, I don't know who, who walks away with this one. But what I am excited to see about, or I should say curious to see, is how these two guys interact with each other leading up to the fight. You know, as I said, Gastelum's kind of turning heel a little bit, showing some spark. Adesanya can talk all day. And I want to see who ends up winning the verbal battle here in the, in the press conferences and all the uh, interviews leading up to this. Just very curious how they perform. Yeah, I think that it's going to be good pre-fight hype. I think that more than um, quite a lot that we've seen, to be honest. So I think both of them are going to take advantage of the moment. I think that they're both uh, they're both going to bring out the best in terms of promotion, I think, in each other is what I'm trying to get at. But it's going to be good. I really am looking forward to this one. I think that it's just good matchmaking, all politics. And, you know, as much as we'd like to see Rob just settle the score... I think it's just a good fight overall. Yeah, I'm with you. Moving on, we have UFC 235 this Saturday. We're going to do from the bottom up, which I know is different for longtime listeners, but I think it's better for this one to finish on that high note. But a lot of good fights from the prelims to the main card. And, you know, just to acknowledge them, Cody Garbrandt coming back, Tisha Torres, Zabit on the prelims, I think, is going to be a great showcase. So a lot of fun stuff going on, but everybody is talking about the top of the card, Ben Askren, and the welterweight title, Tyron Woodley versus Kamaru Usman. This is where we're going to start at. Natalie, the welterweight title on the line. Give me your thoughts on this fight. Okay, dude. So here's here's here I go, I guess. I was never a fan of Tyron Woodley. I thought he was like one of the least exciting welterweight champs. I thought he complained too much. He seemed a little bit entitled and bitter. And as I told you yesterday, I'm a huge Wonder Boy fan. I thought Thompson won their first fight. Uh, when Woodley beat Darren Till, I accepted something about Tyron Woodley that I ignored in his previous fights that he's actually an extremely, one of the smartest fighters in the game. Uh, first, I didn't think Till deserved the shot, right? And despite my dislike for Tyron, I was rooting for Tyron because Till so pompous and just braggadocious when Tyron dismantled Till and shut him I knew never to bet against Tyron Woodley again like mm -hmm. I will never doubt him in a welterweight competition he fights so smartly in the cage even if it makes for a boring fight and with Usman I think Woodley's going to do the same thing I think he's going to stay on the outside he's going to neutralize the wrestling strike hot when the moment uh, arrives I actually think Woodley's going to finish Usman I'm calling TKO third round. Okay. You know what? For me, this fight, 
they're so close to being mirror images of each other. I'm going to give credit, though, to Tyron Woodley. Tyron just has that way of pulling out that wrinkle in his game. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's not about what he can do. And I think that when you look at the fight with Darren Till, who's so much bigger, when you look at Wonderboy, who is so different, when you look at Damian Maya, he is so good and he doesn't always show his entire arsenal. I think we are going to see just how good his kickboxing is against Kamaru. I think we're going to see how technical he is at getting in and out, at setting up his hands in the middle of the octagon. I think that's going to be the key. I think that although Kamaru is a great athlete, I think that Tyron is going to be the one to take more risks to try to set up his power shots because he feels like that's the way to get Kamaru to think about the hands, not possibly the wrestling, because getting Kamaru on his back, same for Woodley, arguably, is the best way to neutralize them. That's the one place of their game where we never see and we're assuming they're just not as good is their jujitsu, their guard off of their back. So I think all of that is something to keep an eye on. But I think that Tyron Woodley's fight IQ, I know everyone, it's such a hot button thing to say, but no one can define it. I think that, you know, for Tyron, he's going to pull out that wrinkle in his game to show just how technical he is. And I think he's just going to quite bluntly outstrike Kamaru Usman and he's going to get the respect for a takedown, or he's just going to be able to shut down Kamaru's plan B to take him to the ground or clinch, and he's just going to run away with the decision, personally. I think it's going to be unanimous for Tyron. Kamaru is a tough guy. He's very difficult to put away. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, on, we're on the same page. I like it. I mean, you know, we're calling a different, different ends to the fight, but I think we're both seeing that Woodley's going to come out on top. Yeah, and but also respect. Kamaru, uh, he... All he does is win also, man. This isn't an easy fight by any means for Tyron Woodley. And I think that's what's going to be interesting is how do they approach fighting each other? Like, Because they could easily cancel each other out, which is another big fear is that we actually have, you know, they're trying to counter strike and clinch and, you know, pummel under and break and just not able to get each other down. That could be... That could be a real, you know, close this one out, Natalie. The main event, John Jones taking on Anthony Smith, the biggest underdog ever to try to take out Jones in his reign. This one, I mean, everyone's saying it very simply. Does Anthony Smith have more than a puncher's chance? Let me toss that one to you. If Anthony Smith shocks the world, how does he get it done? I think the only way he gets it done is with a puncher's chance. I, I don't see any other way around it. I don't think he has the skills to outclass Jones. I think John Jones beats Anthony Smith very quickly. I like Smith. He's a nice guy, a lot of heart, a lot of grit. He's not going to go down easy, but Jones is super smart, super shrewd. He's going to piece him apart. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think John Jones, you know, he's not the... How do I say this? I, I wish there was a better quality man in the light at the helm of the light heavyweight division, but there's no better, higher quality fighter than John Jones. He he's so good. I think he takes home the belt again, but but 100 percent I want to be proven wrong by Anthony Smith. I hope he shocks <laughs> the world. I will go crazy. I think it would be amazing. Puncher's chance is probably the key word here for Anthony Smith's, you know chances i guess (laughs) it's jones all day when i look at it anthony could zig instead of zag and he could really hurt john i would argue that he is the hardest hitter john has taken on since uh probably glover Tashira. i i would argue that he's got 
the way he sets it up, he's got more pop than both Glover and Rampage, personally. Just um, that's the way he fights. I can see him trying to chop away at the legs if he's at long range, trying to get inside, make it ugly in close quarters. The key to it is actually executing that kind of game plan if you're Anthony Smith. It's very tough to do. John doesn't get as much credit for the fact that he does know how to keep you in that range where he could piece you up, and that is really going to be the key factor. Can Anthony you know, get inside? Can he actually, you know, chop away on the outside? John knows that that's what's the key to beat him. And he shuts you down. He chops at your legs so you don't have the mobility. He gets you on the ground. So the way I keep seeing is that even if Anthony goes for that stuff, can he also defend the wrestling of John Jones? John is, you know, under the radar again, but he is very consistent at being able to get you down when he needs to. That is going to be the real key. Can he do that again? Can Anthony Smith stop that? From what I've seen, I would say that no. The best John Jones against the best Anthony, John Jones gets the takedown. Could I be proven wrong? Absolutely. But on paper, from what I've seen of both of them, I feel like that's going to be the real difference maker. Even if John's in trouble on the feet, he's got the wrestling to really shut down Anthony Smith there. And I think that that's how he most likely gets the job done. I see Anthony being tough. I see him going into the third or fourth. But I do think that John Jones is just going to be able to pull this one out at the end of the day, too. Um, Wrestling and just uh, multifacetedness. He has a lot of wrinkles to his game. I think he's going to, you know, him and Jackson and Mike Winkle John are going to put the right recipe together to beat Anthony Smith. Yeah, I think I like the way you put it, you know, if if Smith manages to outshine Jones somehow on the feet, you know, John has a response in many other ways, wrestling, you know, submissions. I think there's always going to be an answer to any question that Smith throws out to, to Jones. And like I, yeah, like I said, wouldn't it be nice? Yep. But I don't think it's going to happen. John Jones for the, for the win. Yeah, I, I I got in the third round. You said you saw a TKO also. Uh, you know what? I actually don't know when. I think it's just gonna happen soon. I guess actually, I would think maybe by round two. Really, honestly, I think he figures it out and goes in for the kill round two. So you see him putting it together fairly quickly in the fight. I really am. Yeah. Okay. No, I got you. I got you. Well, you know what? I guess we will find out. It'll definitely be the first thing we talk about next week on the show. Next week, the UFC keeps on rolling. They have another event. I am already blanking on it because we had a bit of a technical difficulty, but their event is going on. Natalie, do you remember where they're at? I'm pulling it up right now. They're going to be in Wichita, Kansas. Louis Dos Santos. Derek Lewis. Yes. JDS. That's there it is. Yes, I was like, I know it's a big, like literally, I know it's a big fight. It's two heavyweights. Two heavyweights, yeah. That, yeah, personality of Derek Lewis, obviously JDS, former champion. Um, the winner of that one, I think, makes it interesting for what's going on at heavyweight. If you're in Ganu or you're Stipe, if you're anybody else, so I think that's the biggest thing next week. That's going to be a lot of fun to talk about, just to give you guys a little bit of a preview, but. 
Until then, guys, have a great weekend. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. Natalie, where can the fans find you? You can find me Twitter and Instagram at Straight Puncher. Awesome. All right, guys. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a good one.